Hey, 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 everybody. Thank you for tuning in. This is the Talk Cash or Don't Speak podcast. I'm your host, John Odebo, also known as Johnny Debs. Hope you're ready for today's episode. Let's get it. People, you are tuned into a rant-style personal finance podcast. If you're looking for someone to get in your face about personal finance and investing topics, I'm definitely your guy. The motto on this show is talk cash or don't speak. Hello, hello, hello. Bonjour. Hola. Alvidezane. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good evening. Wherever you're listening, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining another episode of the Talk Cash or Don't Speak podcast and joining us on another Talk Cash Tuesday here. So today we have a guest who's very passionate about startups, whether that be tech or consulting or live shows. There's been a startup boom over the last few years, and um, I figured this is a topic that we should really cover here on today's episode I was reading an NPR, and uh, The Economist also posted something that from 2019 to 2020, there was roughly a 24% increase in startup businesses. So that's that was 3.5 million to 4.4 million. Now, they got these from the U.S. Census Department. I think some of this might have been due to increased unemployment over over this time period. Um, you could also maybe blame it on inflation or the increased cost of living. And that basically now requires people to need an extra income. Maybe there's a higher amount of remote workers and that is just allowing people to use their time better. I also think that it might be due to the fact that this newer generation of workers, um, they value their own time, freedom, um, they want to be digital nomads or they just want to do their own thing. They don't, they want the freedom away from that corporate world. So they didn't have as many stats on this, but interestingly enough, by the end of 2020, roughly 9.1 small businesses had closed. Now that's an extremely sad fact. And I think a lot of us know that that is due to, uh, some of the restrictions that happened during the pandemic and, and businesses just not being able to keep doors open or, or keep staff employed. That is uh, an interesting fact there, and I think everybody might know one business that's closed, but there's also more starting. So what's going on right now? Today, in this episode, we're going to talk about the lessons learned that our guest had from some failed startups. He's now working with, in a successful tech company, founded and, and running that. So a little bit of a, a roller coaster ride through his entrepreneur journey and I'm really excited for you guys to listen in. So if you're liking what you guys are hearing, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. That's at TalkCashPod. There'll be a few solo episodes coming out over the next few months covering topics that listeners have written in uh, asking about. Some of these include building credit, um, different types of savings accounts, strategies for saving what what are health savings accounts? What are flexible savings accounts? 401ks versus IRAs. What is a Roth contribution? So these are the types of uh, episodes that will be coming up. They'll be a little more informative versus uh, stories of, of success and failure through entrepreneurs. And it, I want you to be able to stay in the loop. So don't miss any info. Um, and then reach out in the, in the DMs if there's anything that you'd like to hear covered or if you're interested in becoming a guest. So, before you get bored of listening to me talk, let's hop into the episode. I'm here on our newest episode with our guest that I'm happy to introduce, Joseph Hecker, a serial entrepreneur here in Denver, Colorado. Joseph, thanks for hopping on. Definitely. Thanks so much. Awesome. So, Joseph, we spoke the other day and did your podcast. So, everybody, uh, there's the Join In Crowd podcast that Joseph has. Um, you guys can go check that out, and Joseph, I'll let you plug the information for listeners to be able to reach that or find that. But um, kind of wanted to go back to that meeting that we had. I really like the background 
that you had kind of given me on, on yourself. I thought it was really interesting to listen to. And I thought it was great just hearing about the wealth of experience that you have with startups. Um, so kind of for today's episode, I was really thinking it'd be great if we dig into that a little bit more. Talk about what you're currently doing because you do have your hands in a lot of different cookie jars. And uh, I'm, I'm excited for the listeners to kind of hear how to stay busy with multiple different businesses and then maybe maybe have uh, some feedback on how the listener could get started with their own business or uh, a couple of steps that they could start taking today to get something going. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. let's do it. Cool. Awesome. Um, so you moved here to Denver from California, correct? Uh, a little bit of jumping around. So I was um, uh, raised my kids in Southern California, which is where I kind of built my career and also um, – got involved in the tech community. Okay. Uh, from there, I was traveling. I was 100% on the road from 2016 through 2019. Nice. And it was in September of 2019 that uh, one of my sponsors flew me from New York. I was out at New York Fashion Week with 90 supermodel Angie Everhart <laughs> uh, and Macklemore. Uh, and had I stayed and my sponsors not paid me extra to fly out to Vegas – uh, we were going to go have dinner with Joe Pesci. So just to kind of cast a little bit of like the wonky life that, uh, the tech and my world was. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, uh, they flew me out to Vegas and I met a girl and then ended up in Vegas. Okay. Awesome. Uh, how did you get started in the tech world? So sure. So, uh, if any of you guys have been out to Vegas, um, you have definitely seen my light fixtures. For 18 years, I designed custom light fixtures for hotels and casinos. Uh, if you've been to the Cosmo, uh, you've seen the world's largest chandelier. I did all of the custom lighting for the for the Cosmo. Um, I did 80% of all the major decorative lighting at the Wynn. Uh, in, in 2009, I went out on my own and I started consulting on my own. I consulted for 20 custom lighting manufacturers. And by 2011, I was making more money than I'd ever made in my career as a lighting designer for other companies. I was billing at $240 an hour, and I thought life was great. Um, we were, me and my kids and 13 of their friends uh, were out in Big Bear, and I could afford the trip. I, I paid for everything, the, the, the cabin, the skiing, all of it. Um, so I'm sitting in Big Bear, I'm sitting in the lodge, the kids and their friends are snowboarding. I've got a whiskey Coke, I've got my laptop, <laughs> I'm billing at 240 an hour, thinking life was good. Sure. And then I sat there and went, shit, uh, I have to sit in front of this laptop to earn a buck. Mm -hmm. And I didn't care if it was a buck or if it was 240 bucks or thousands per hour. It wouldn't have mattered. I was still stuck in front of a damn laptop. I was just chained to a wall. Yeah. And I wanted to be snowboarding with the kids. So Fair from enough. that point forward, I kind of was set on how do I create passive income, uh, which led me into tech. Um, I failed miserably at the first attempt. Okay. Uh, what tell, I, tell us more about that a little bit. And and by fail, like what, what do you mean? Failed. Uh, <laughs> utterly failed. Um, uh, in, by 2012, I had 283000 $253,000 in my savings account. Okay, awesome. While I was still earning, and that was a great cushion. That's, Man. that's why you were doing the, the consulting game. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, it, it felt really good. Yeah. Knowing that I had Very that money, I didn't I'm have sure. to check my bank account. Never had to like wonder, did I have money in the account for that? Um, but I had this harebrained idea, right? I wanted to create passive income. And my aha moment was, I'm in the design field. My aha moment was I felt that the future of design collaboration would be a social platform. Sure. Now, up until this point, I had worked for other people. I had assumed I was going to continue to work for other people. When I started my own consulting, I was amazed that I was able to do that so young. Yeah. I thought that was an old person's game. I thought consulting was for retired people. Um, Interesting. So, and in fact, at this point, I didn't even know what an entrepreneur was. Um, I knew that I was a hard worker. Yeah, but I didn't know what entrepreneurialism was. It okay. didn't apply to me. 2012, I uh, did a bunch of research and I went and I hired developers and I hired marketing companies 
And I bought a, I got an office. I rented an office. I was flying around meeting with future customers for my tech platform. Okay. And I what, treated What was this tech platform? This is the collaboration tech platform that you envisioned, yeah. right? Um, what's com- what, what's it the most comparable to maybe in like current day? So uh, at the beginning, I called it CPAD, which was horrible. It was a, <laughs> a computer-aided design assistant. Okay. I was from lighting design. I was from like AutoCAD and sure. SolidWorks and engineering. Um, so when I first took a dive into this, I used that same sort of acronym thing. Yeah. You know? I took my money, my savings, and I paid people. I treated it, my business model was very much a small business model. I didn't know the difference between a small business model and a tech model. Ah, okay. Using other people's money versus bootstrapping and using your own? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, by 2000, uh, August of 2013, I was broke. Um, I so this had, is about a year and just over a oh, year. Oh, I later. pissed away my money fast. Okay. Um, I overcommitted. I thought I would hit revenue faster. Yeah. I did not. Everything took longer. And by the end of everything, I lost my three Mercedes. I lost my home, I, or the condo. Mm-hmm. I lost everything. And by August of 2013, me and my kids moved into a one-and-a-half-bedroom apartment. I couldn't even afford to get my stuff out of storage. I took wow. the last $100 that I had in my account I grabbed a $9 an hour job, sales, phone sales job, mm-hmm. and bought a bicycle because I didn't know if I was going to be able to afford um, bus fare. So wow. I was truly at the bottom. It took me a while to kind of get over the depression. Um, but when I did, I dug into tech. Okay. And I started networking and getting around and discovering that there was another way to set up my business. And that was through investors. So... For people listening, studying business models is a vital step in forming your business. You might have a great idea. Yeah. There are different paths to see that business idea come to fruition. Study business models. I love that there. Yeah, because at the end of the day, find the quickest route to monetization and revenue or I think also – Depending on your company, right? Like if you look at like an Apple, your company that's a small business or like a mom and pop shop can't scale like that. Um, and I think there, you know, there's, there's doing the work yourself. There is outsourcing to like a channel or a, a group of partners and then also hiring salespeople. So that's, that's a really good point there. And I think that's very overlooked when people are like, I want to start a business before you might have a great idea, but can you put that idea into a model? that can make sense or make money or be good for the consumer. Um, so what, what business model or like, what did you decide uh, moving forward for at, in, within tech at that point? Sure. So at this point I had no money. Um, I had got a tax return. So I went and I bought a used Mercedes cause I needed to get in front of investors and I needed to sure. be on their level. So I needed to be able to show up to that valet in a car that looked like it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I went and I recruited a team. So a management team is huge. If you don't have the skill sets and if you don't have the accomplishments, go build your team. Sure. So um, my team consisted of the brand strategist from Adobe, the uh, CMO for the Honda Center, the founder of Bright White, the uh, tooth whitening company, um, the president of Tech Coast Angels. I had the former CTO of Gateway Computers. We had developers from Nortel Systems, Toyota, Google, and Amazon. Boom. We went out and created a killer team. Yeah. So when I went and I pitched the VP of Chase Bank, uh, it wasn't just me. It was the team. Yeah. My advisors were the uh, Jeff Winter, the CEO of LinkedIn, mm-hmm. Nick Bell, the VP of Snapchat, and Michael Jones, the founder of MySpace, as well as uh, John Pietro, the former head of marketing for Wendy's and Chick-fil-A. Um, that's crazy. That's I it. networked my ass off to <laughs> fill in all those deficiencies. So when we had investors, I was able to raise over $575,000 of other people's money for my idea. Yeah. That's awesome. Those are some heavy hitter names. You said you networked your ass off. What was like the, 
the product? What was the vision? And how were you able to successfully kind of woo them um, with your idea? So where I had failed on the first attempt was I thought my money was going to be credence, right? That That's proof. Here's my money. Yeah. Without money, then it was purely your just that that passion that you had and selling that vision. Man, I'll tell you what, uh it doesn't cost anything to be passionate about what you're going for and to get people on board with your gravy train. I agree. Um, yeah. So, I'll tell you what, when you're bootstrapping or even if you're not, uh this is why and I don't think people realize this, even your millionaires and billionaires. Yeah. They don't spend their own money. They come up with an idea and they go fundraise. Because in life, there's people that have money, and then there's people that have ideas, and typically, those aren't the same person. I love that. I agree. And then also, sometimes there's maybe someone who's willing to to put in the work, and maybe has one or two of those other things, like money and willing to work, but not much of an idea person, or maybe you have a lot of creativity, and you're willing to work your ass off, and then that also kind of shows through that passion a little bit, too. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And what was that product? So that was Design Wall. Okay. Um, by a year and nine months, we were clearing 500,000 monthly new visitors. Okay. Now, um, it was a website or a platform? It was a website. Okay. So uh, a lot of people get this one wrong too. So if you're considering, you know, uh, creating an app or a website or whatever your, your, your platform is going to be. Mm-hmm. So through my advisor's advice, and I've got to know a lot of different people, uh, the CEO of, of Twitter, um, it, and at the time, so Facebook, let's take Facebook. Yep. When Facebook started, there was no such thing as app. They, it That's was a true. website. That's true. So yeah. Mark Zuckerberg built a website. Now, websites couldn't talk to functions on your phone. The camera, your website, there was no coding yeah. that controlled the camera on a cell phone. Crazy to think back to the day. <laughs> yeah. So along come apps, and apps are native to a phone. So an app could talk to the camera. Yeah. A website couldn't. And so then Facebook had to create an app, and LinkedIn had to create an app. Have you ever noticed that the functions are different? The functions on a website are different than a function on an app. And it's still the same today. If you go on LinkedIn, on mobile, you have different yeah, functions. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, you can hit a person up on on Instagram. You can do, send an unsolicited message, a private message yeah. on LinkedIn. You can't do it on the website. Yeah, right. And and on the website, you can't actually even post, yeah. I don't believe. Um, For a while, um, so articles, LinkedIn articles. At the time, you could only do that on the website. You couldn't do it on your phone. Interesting. So they were two and different platforms. And now it actually seems easier to share it. They actually phone. had two different development teams. It was almost two companies. Over time and now to today, yeah. if you were going to start a platform and you're thinking, I'm going to make an app, you don't need to. Um, there is now coding that controls the phone, the camera on a cell phone. There is coding that speaks to your cell phone device. Mm-hmm. There is almost no reason why you would need an app. Those native functions are controlled through coding now. So responsive website is the way to go. Okay. That's good to hear. Um, so anybody interested there, anybody with some coding experience, or it doesn't sound like you really need too much, uh, to really get into that. And that's different from no code, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah? Okay, cool. Um, so what are you working on now? So, um, so, uh, I'll kind of leave off what I learned from design. Yeah, that'd be great. Design. Well, we ran out of money, uh, great team. Uh, we raised money. It was, it was cool when we looked around and we said, okay, how do we get to a billion users? Well, we need more product. Where do we find, where do the buyers and sellers of interior design, sofas and tables and decor, where, where are they meeting? Well, yeah. they were meeting at trade shows. So uh, we decided to pivot into what we were calling design wall event solutions. Okay. And we were going to become a trade show, trade show solution. The problem is none of our team, amazing team, none of us had trade show experience. None of us Mm. were that person and nor did we have that experience where investors were going to give us money for it. Okay. We didn't have proof. And when you say trade show experience, are you talking about demonstrating your product uh, on the grand scale at a show or just having your booth and and being able to 
hit people up and kind of work the room. So when you're building uh, your management team, um, you're hiring for deficiencies, right? right? On our team, we had the founder of Bright White. We had, uh, you know, the brand strategist from Adobe. We had all these people. But none of them were the head of a trade show operation. Okay. None of them were, um, you know, from the big trade show exhibition companies. None ah. of them were from um, the convention centers and that sort of thing. Right. So we were looking for that person. Uh, it was much harder than we thought. And we essentially just ran out of money. Okay. Um, and what year was this around or how long this after was, you guys had started uh, Design Wall? This was... Uh, uh, we ran out of money uh, September of 2017. Okay. Um, so is this a couple of years in business? or? Yeah, we had launched in 2013. Okay. 2013, 2014. So we had a little run. Yeah. Um, we had 500,000 monthly new visitors. In hindsight, and this is where I uh, kind of learned and now lead to what I'm doing now. In hindsight, we had 500,000 monthly new visitors. Our advisors from LinkedIn and Snapchat and this yeah. sort of thing were telling us you needed to get to a billion users and then figure out how to charge everybody a buck. Now, if you look back in history, Snapchat went public. They didn't have a profit margin, uh, uh, um, a revenue model. Right. They, they didn't yeah, know how to make money at the time. Uh, and yet they went public in order to buy time to figure out how to make money because they had the billion users. Right. So, in hindsight, we had 500 monthly new visitors. We had a 20% conversion rate. Had we uh, charged a membership, I think we could have hit a 30% conversion rate on paid memberships. Yeah. If we charged every everybody a buck, we would have been making $300,000 in new money each month. Right, exactly. That's what, yeah, exactly. That's that would have been impressive. perfect. We had only raised 575000 Right. We would have been able to lap that. In real two, revenue. Two months or so. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So in hindsight, we should have charged. In hindsight, the advice we were getting was wrong. It was good at the time, but it was wrong. Okay. So so now, um, so after that, I kind of took some time off and I launched a talk show on Facebook. In 2018, I cleared 3.2 million views of my weekly one-hour talk show called Design Talk Live. Um, we've had the property brothers on, I've had Macklemore and collective soul play live on the show. It was ridiculous hosting that talk show. Um, I've stayed up until five in the morning, taking whiskey shots with Julian Lennon. Like nice. it was a crazy life. Yeah. Um, I got in over my head okay. on that and I started producing shows. Uh, what I didn't realize was I had a successful show. I tried to replicate the model. But what I didn't understand was when you produce shows, you actually have to sell. And there's sales cycles for advertising. And I didn't know that. So I paid six full-time salespeople. And when we talked to people, they said, oh, my God, that's a great idea. I love that show. I know that host, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, we have a bu our budget locked in already. Uh, but we'll think about it for next year. Yeah. And we were already running shows, so mm -hmm. we were just burning through cash again. Um, so was timing was kind of a huge issue there? It was not understanding my playing field, right? I, I and, and this is why for you business people out there, if you're considering a business, do a business in something that you already are doing. If you're a chef, go start another food company. If you're a, an accountant, go do something in accounting. Find a pain point yeah. and stay in there. I love that. A lot of people like to jump lanes and they're an accountant and now they're a whatever else. They're, yeah. I don't know, a Airbnb flipper. I don't know. <laughs> and just because you're good at numbers doesn't mean you know shit about flipping homes. Right. So stay, I don't mean to make people stay in their lane, but find a gap and fill it in your niche. Yeah. Let's, I, I kind of want to dig into that a little bit more. I think that's a really good debate. Uh, stay in your lane versus branch out and use the knowledge that you've learned from your industry or that one lane and be able to apply that to a different industry and make a unique product in that sense. Like what if an accountant makes a really good real estate flipper because they, they understand the numbers better than an actual investor 
like a realist or not an actual investor, but someone who's more cut out for like wholesaling or kind of going in there and doing the manual labor and then turning it over. Like that's, it's a different skill set and maybe that makes the product unique. So, uh, my humble advice on that, I tend to be conservative, conservative on these types of things. Yeah. Uh, off air we were talking about, I wholeheartedly believe in the Guy Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad model of, um, do your day job. Yeah. Work your side hustle. When your side hustle makes a dollar more consistently, then branch out. Totally so, on that too. Yeah. If you're an accountant and you want to get into flipping homes, here's my advice. Partner with a person that's, that flips homes. I Partner like with a general yeah. contractor. You can always branch out on your own once you get your feet wet and you understand the, you've cut your teeth and you understand the operations and what it takes. Mm-hmm. But keep your day job. Bring on a partner. You, it can even be a short-term partner. Learn, learn the game. Yeah, right? learn it. Learn yeah, it. yeah, okay. And then branch out. Yeah. Right, so, um, trust me, you'll save a lot of money. I've, I've, <laughs> Me and my brother sat down one time and, uh, he's, he's just, he's a consistent employee. He works for a city and he's just a consistent employee. Mm-hmm. And he's judged me for my entrepreneurial jumping around, blah, 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 right? We sat down one day and, and I said, okay, you write down how much money you've made in this time period. Right. And I wrote down, uh, and we kind of did a PL. Write down what you've made and what you've lost. Yeah. I wrote down what I made and what I lost. Turns out, I've lost more money than that dude's ever made. Uh, I, I was going to say, he probably doesn't have many expenses more. either being an employee. There's yeah. not much startup cost there other than maybe like school. Now, I mean, are we, you know, are we in a similar boat? So was it a long, <laughs> windy road to get to the same point? Sure. Yeah. But I'll tell you, my life is full of freaking crazy experiences. Right. There's no reason I should have been able to meet the people that I've met had I not done the things that I've done and risked the things that I've risked. Yeah. And I'll tell you, at the end of life, I can sit in a rocking chair and say I retired from a place. Or I can sit in a rocking chair and recap this wonky fucking life I've had. Right, right. I think I think there's something to be said for that experience because it's like you got to appreciate the journey. I think I, think I see that a lot in entrepreneurship uh, circles where it's like the goal isn't getting there. It's how you get there. That's the part you have to enjoy that part to really be a successful entrepreneur. You have to be able to enjoy the ups and the downs. And I think whether you're an employee, you can oftentimes avoid any harsh down. Like you can get fired or something, but like you're not going bankrupt necessarily. Uh, it's a little different. As an employee, you don't even really have to specialize. You just have to not get fired. Right, exactly. Do your job good enough. Uh, and I've been in CEO forums and talked about this. 10% of your employees carry all the weight. Yeah, yeah, it, we see that a lot. A bulk of your employees are just showing up. Like, yeah. It's good that they fill a seat. And then you've still got that small percentage that are assholes that just kind of fuck it up for everybody else. Right. But you need those too. So you need them all, right? And and as a as an employer or as an entrepreneur, um, what's interesting is you – you really don't have that luxury and you have that luxury to the extreme. Um, I love Gary Vee who says, hey, you're never going to have an employee. Don't even try to have an employee that's as passionate about your business as you are. Right. You have to, you, you, you got to be motivational to yourself. Yeah. You've got to motivate everybody around you and you've got to mo- motivate your clients. It is completely you. No one's going to buy in on your dream as much as you should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Um, I think if they are nearly as passionate, then maybe they're a partner yeah. and not an employee, depending and, on, and they on may what not they bring be to the as table. Passionate. Right. Uh, they may be an operations person that just does the things that you envision. Right. So all of that, uh, the failed attempt, design wall, and all of that, what I learned was when I create platforms now, my platforms are designed to do one thing and one thing only and to make money or have the potential to make money on day one. Boom. So mic drop right there. I love that. Can we can we get that one more time just so that the the audience can really take that away on how to maybe drive an efficient business model right now? It's easy to go down rabbit holes. When you create a business, do one thing really well and monetize on day one. I love that. 
So what we did was I've launched Join In Crowd. Join In Crowd is a digital business card. Join In Crowd, um, it's, it's, there's other digital business cards out there. And in the history of digital business cards, there used to be scanners. So it was a card scanner. Yeah. I think I've gone to event, uh, or trade shows as well. It had, uh, digital scanners kind of. Yeah. Uh, they have evolved. Now the, the big thing is tappable. Right, they've got bracelets, they've got cards. It's the last card you're going to need. Blah blah blah. I haven't seen any of those. Uh, I kind of like the idea. Yeah. The problem um, is, is you still got to buy that card. Sure. Uh, and if you've got multiple businesses, then you've got to buy multiple of those cards. There's also uh, recently also there's um, like miniature websites. So like companies will will sell you a miniature website that's a business card. So it's a digital card. Okay. Um, so joining crowd is completely free. Uh, you can sign up today, create a card in under two minutes, and start sharing your card immediately. That's um, awesome. You can create multiple cards. They're free. I've got six cards. I've only upgraded one of them. Uh, and on on mine, because I use... What are the six cards for? Um, so I launched a, my Meal Genie. I have one for my podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got one for One Million Cups. I'm a volunteer at One Million Cups. So I create cards... For everything um, that you're involved anything, in. Because it's free. Okay. Right? Yeah. Why not? Uh, I love that. Now for my join in crowd business card, I've upgraded and the most that you'll pay is a buck. So a buck a month. So, um, and for that buck, your profile, the banner is video, which I think is important when you leave behind a business card to clearly convey what you're doing. You know, who are you? And I actually, uh, encourage people to actually create a video that says, Hey, this is Joseph Hacker. Uh, you know, thanks for meeting. I'd love to follow up and, you know, just a recap, this is what I do. Like, literally speak to people. Yeah. That's what your business card can't do. Yeah. And that's what we can that's do. That's so engaging as well. It's going to make people follow it more or click on it more, just pay more attention to what you're giving them. Yeah. Yeah. I, your business card doesn't get to do that right now. Yeah. Um, for a dollar, you get the video. Uh, you also get to view your activity, who's clicking on what. Oh, I and like you that. can download your contacts. Um so, we, so when people click, you can download their information? Yeah. So you get nice. a, like, so when I share my physical card with you, I have no record of that. Right? Yeah. Right. With joining crowd, when I share my digital card with you, I get a record of that. Boom. So, uh, so that's joining crowd. Uh, currently we're out of beta on the individual card user. Um, and we should be releasing soon our enterprise, which is for companies with two or more employees. So we've already got Nike, MGM, Dell, Microsoft, House, American Standard, American Leather, Informa. Um, so when Nike, when we're ready for them and we launch, Nike will be able to batch upload all 25,000 employees, distribute digital cards to them. Nike can control the fields that they want to. Their employees will be able to share their card, um, and uh, each employee will be able to view their own activity and download their contacts. Nike We'll get a master copy of all of the activity by employee and all of the uh, contacts by employee for $2 per employee a month. Sweet. Okay. It's not even, when you think about SaaS products, that's not very, ex- I mean, is this considered a SaaS product? Not really. Not really. Yeah. But like when you, when you think about uh, a product, uh, a digital product for a company, $2 a, pers- a person is pretty low and Nike, it's pretty affordable. Nike spends over $4 million a year on printed business cards that they yeah. get no data off of. With us, it would be a quarter million dollars a year. How did you gather that information there? Cause that's interesting to know what your like total addressable market is. So unfair. I know the director of marketing at Nike. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that's fair. So, so people just start making those friends high up, high up. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and now from a business standpoint, um, joining crowd, on day one, we had signups. We had conversion. So what I've learned and what I suggest to people is do one thing. We are, we are not trying to be all things to everybody. We do one thing on joining crowd. We're the replacement of a business, a paper business card. Right. We're Keep just it better simple. than it. Yeah. Um, and make money on day one. So nice. it, it was designed to make money. That's all it does. Okay. How are you marketing this? So when we first started out, we thought uh, we were going to be targeting business people, right? Um, business cards. Yeah. We'd be targeting business people. Turns out that's not true. Um, so we run social ads, and our social ads tend to be more geared towards, like, 
fun and making friends. Because what it turns out is when 20, 30, and even 40-year-olds mm-hmm. go out places and they meet someone, they go, oh, here, let me get your number. And, oh, wait, what was that? And blah, blah, blah. And yeah. you'll get a text and you don't know who that person is. Yeah. It's not the smoothest exchange when you when you go out and meet people at the bars or any type of social event. That exchange is uh, is is like tough. It's clunky. Yeah, it's clunky, clunky exactly. Right? So what we're finding is a lot of people are creating an account. They're putting in their name, their photo, and whatever whatever they want to, whatever yeah. info they want to, and they share it via a QR code. So um, we have instructions so you can save it as your wall your screensaver. So all you have to do is. Click on your phone, and you can share your card with. I've shared it with a dozen people in a single swipe. Uh, so, so it's efficient too. Yeah, and it's free, right? So what what we found was that people were using it just to share that information. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I, people, I think you should go check this out because at the end of the day, like I saw Joseph's phone the other day. It is his screensaver, his background. You don't even have to open your phone. You can scan it. And I think that's so cool for uh, meeting people at bars, right? Like just make the swipe exchange real quick. Um, if you're at a sporting event or like on your sports teams, think of all the ways and all the times you want to get someone's information, but maybe the idea of like asking them has been intimidating or the whole process of it just being like, uh, at the end of this meeting of this event, we're going to sit for a minute and, and do this exchange. I hate that. Like I love asking people people for their contact info, but I hate actually doing the exchange. So I think this is this is going to be a really efficient way to that a lot of our our guests could could benefit from that. How how can people find the join in crowd? So uh it's uh, www.joinincrowd.com. Cool. Join J O I N in crowd. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. It's pretty simple. Uh, it it says what to do in the name. <laughs> join in crowd. Yes, yes. Hang up this uh, or pause this episode right now and go join in crowd. Yeah. Uh, from that, I host the Join in Crowd Business Podcast. So, um, to be fair, uh, we run ads on social media. Um, we launched in February. It's now August. We've cleared nine thousand users. 9,000 listeners for the podcast or users for the business card. Awesome. Okay. Um, We've had 2,100 converts. So we've made over $20,000. Our all in investment was 10 grand. So we're profitable at this point. Love that. When we have Nike come on, Nike's worth 50 grand a month to me. So that's crazy. Technically, I don't need to do anything more than that. I, back in 2012, when I wanted to make a passive income thing. Yeah. I'm doing it with you're kind of at that point now. Yeah. So, so what is the goal now, or what's kind of driving you right now? So, um, so one, I want to get that enterprise up and running because I'd I'd like that cash flow of Nike's money coming in. The other thing that I uh, that what I've learned through this journey was, and and something I'd like to share is just that a lot of businesses and a lot of business people think like you've got to. You've got to go raise capital. You've got to go get investors. You've got to go do all these things. Uh, your company's got to be a million. It's got to be 10 million. It's got to be a billion dollar company. I'll tell you what, join in crowd with $50,000 worth of Nike money alone yeah. would be great cash flow. Uh, right. That's, that's more than the average American makes yeah. a year. And I'm cool with that. Now, if, you know, Dal and these other guys come on, but, um, I was talking to an investor today about the platform and, and I was telling him like, you know, so a lot of people think that you've got to go down these paths of raising money and doing all these different things. Please, good God, don't, um, just realize that at the end of the day, whatever model you're pursuing, uh, you're a business. And at the end of the day, the entire model is to make money. Absolutely. Uh, And it doesn't have to be a million dollars. I've got this. I've got five other tech platforms behind this. I've got other things in development. Um, and you can piece together that money. It doesn't have to come together all through one venture. Yeah, I love that. And then multiple streams of income anyway is, is great because then if one of those ventures does fail, it's like, okay, well, I still have these three others going well for me. Maybe I still have some consulting on the side. Uh, you got your investments going on. So I, I agree. Like people, people think that they need one thing to take off, 
by doing five or six different, uh, you know, following those ideas, those paths, you have a chance of one of them taking off anyway, but like also you're just getting there. Like you're replacing income each month. Is the guy Kiyosaki model? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with having multiple side hustles. I agree completely. Okay. So real quick, you kind of talked about one of the benefits of this entrepreneurial life, life is the ups and downs, the stories you get to tell. Can we talk a little bit about the Netflix debacle? Oh. Because I thought that was super interesting too. And I think our users would love to, to kind of hear that because this is maybe, you know, when you have an idea that takes off like that Facebook, uh, that Facebook live stream, these are the kind of opportunities that maybe come your way. Yeah. So, um, and I don't know if I shared. So, uh, my show was doing well. Uh, it, my show wasn't even on purpose. So the show was called Design Talk Live. Um, I, it was a rant that turned into a talk show. So I, I was in the design field. I was out promoting my, my design tech platform. So I was in design, but I was also in tech. Yeah. So I like to say I've got one foot in design and one foot in tech. So on this particular trip, I was in high point at a furniture show. I flew off to DC to go speak at an event in front of 450 people live on camera tech event. That's awesome. Left there, flew back to the West Coast to go attend another trade show. Along the way, I was listening to my to my design friends talking about the trends, the trends, the trends. Okay. Um, on Facebook, I created an event sitting in my hotel room that the next day I was going to go live on Facebook. When you create an event, you've got to give it a title. So I titled my show the next day, my Facebook Live, Fuck the Trends. Uh, okay. So when I love I, that. Yeah. Because that's definitely going to turn heads. Yeah. When I went live, I went live from my cell phone. I tied my cell phone to the handle of my luggage with my <laughs> speaker cord. So this was low. This was, this was my People, show. This is getting creative. Go start your business right now. Do you hear this? Do you hear how little it takes to really just get moving in the right direction on something? So I go live. I hit the go live button. And on that day, I had – now, at the time, I had – Maybe 1,500 followers on Facebook total. On that day, when I hit go live, I had 2,200 people watching me live. Um, the next day, I got calls from sponsors wanting to sponsor my show. And That's I told them – day two. The next this was day. the very first time yeah. I'd ever even gone live. on It was Facebook Live. This wasn't a talk show. Sure. Um, Week six, I brought on my celebrity design co-host. Week nine, I hosted the top design industry podcasters, cleared 100,000 views in one week. By December, I was getting calls from PR companies asking to book their celebrities on my show. The first time awesome. that I had the Property Brothers on, I had them lip sync battle. We had 19,000 people watching, and that episode cleared 500,000 views in one week. So uh, from that, uh, we had several different guests throughout the year. I was um, – the talk show really took off. And in 2018, we cleared 3.2 million views. Uh, from there, I went on to produce other shows, and that's where I learned that, you know what, uh, I didn't know sales cycles. Sure. So. Okay. How did Netflix come about out of that? So – Interestingly enough, so I was at a design bloggers conference. Uh, I turned around a corner and there were these two ladies being interviewed on camera, like news camera interview. Uh-huh. And the one lady, when she saw me come around the corner, like changed her posture, uh, waved at me while she was on camera. Okay. And, and I was like, oh shit. So I was like, I gotta figure out who this lady is. So I waited for the interview. She comes over and she's like, oh my God, I follow your show, blah, 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 blah. She followed it on Facebook. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And she was like, you know, um, she was a fan of the show. Hell she yeah. was like telling me about different episodes that she liked. And, <laughs> and I was like, so, you know, no offense. It seems like you know a lot about me. Who are you? <laughs> so, uh, this was Abby McMaster's, uh, McMasterson head of programming for HGTV and they had just been bought by discovery channel. Okay. So she was head of programming for discovery channel. That's awesome. So what do it's you a nice say? To bump into. Yeah. What do you say to the head of programming for HGTV who has just been, you know, rallying your ear off about what a fan they are? What do you say to them? I think I would say, 
you should get me on HDTV. I said, you're such a fan. I said, um, <laughs> so you know you're the devil in this space. And she was like, wait, what? <laughs> that's so funny. And that's I, a, that's a curveball. Yeah, I was like, so if, if you're a fan, then you know that three weeks ago we had, uh, Tim DeSanta, uh, uh on season three from, uh, season three of Design Stars. And Tim shared that being on HGTV almost wrecked his business. Um, oh, really? Okay. So what a lot of people don't understand is when you sign a deal with Netflix or with HGTV or TLC or these guys, one, uh, y- you can't say anything about it, right? So, sure. um, also Tim was on a competition show. So if you're on a competition show, they literally, y- you get sequestered, sequestered. So they rip you out of your life. Uh-huh. They don't tell you. And then suddenly now short heads up, you've got to go move to that beach house or you've got to go move to that spot. You're thrown into this house with other people. Uh, you can't tell your customers where you're at, where you went, just you're, you're, you're just ripped out of your life, right? When filming's done, they go into production, they go into editing and that sort of thing. You still can't share. Yeah. Then, so, so, so think about it from an interior designer. You're an interior designer. You got clients, you're busy. You apply for this thing. All of a sudden you disappear. (laughs) You're gone for six weeks, two months. Uh, when when it's done, suddenly you're back and you don't get to tell anybody. So you were probably in rehab. I, your customers, yeah. Think. What are they supposed to think? Yeah, right. Uh, and you can't tell them. Then all of a sudden, they start seeing your picture all over TV, the news, magazines that you're going to be on this show. So what happens is Tim, what he found was his clients thought that they couldn't afford him anymore. So that is hilarious and so. Like counter intuitive, just like ironic of the situation. You'd think, oh, I'm on Netflix, uh, I'm everywhere, uh, or HGTV, or everybody's gonna see me. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, people see you. They're intimidated now. <laughs> yeah. So, um, ultimately, I got offers from Pytown, Scott Brothers Media, uh, HGTV, and Netflix, and there was one other. Um, I was weighing kind of the options. My show would have been the person behind the product. So okay. Netflix actually introduced me to uh, Anthony Bourdain. I got to talk with him Stoke. three times uh, before he committed suicide. Uh-huh. Um, my show was going to be similar to Anthony's uh, Parts Unknown. Okay. It was going to be the person behind the product. So I was going to fly out to Portugal to Saddleman's Leather and go meet the guy who takes the cowhide, puts it into the vats of formalde- formaldehyde, to dye uh, the, 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 the leather hides. His arms are stained purple from handling these dyes and all this stuff. Yikes. I was going to go meet with him, walk with him to his home, eat dinner with his family, and hear his story. Okay. And then the show would have panned out and then showed you where you see his products out in the marketplace. Okay. And so it was the person behind the product. Um I was weighing my five options and, uh, I woke up one morning to the news that Anthony Bourdain had committed suicide. Uh, so I signed the contract with Netflix, uh, sent it in and Abby called and said, you know, hey, why'd you, why'd you choose us? And I said that the, um, the world lost a storyteller yeah. and the world needs its story told. Yeah. That's fair. Like, uh, kind of just like, let's fill that void now. Yeah. yeah. W- whatever happened with that. Ultimately, so you're on your own to go fill those 12 episodes. So I had to go find the 12 companies that would have let us come out and film. Uh, I filled nine of them, and then my talk show really took off. So in 2018, I made 180 grand hosting a one-hour-a-week talk show. That's awesome. What people don't know about like Netflix and signing contracts like that, year one, you don't make any money. Year two, you still don't make any money. And this you're, is, you're, you mean like season one, season, yeah, season two, or? One, season two. Okay. Um, by the third season. And that's just because of the contract layout or what? Well, they just don't have trust in you yet, right? Okay. You haven't proven that you can make money. Yeah. They make a ton of So money. do you make a little bit? Like you have a contract with them that's probably like low, low pay base, maybe some bonus incentives it's like, or? It's like hiring, getting your first job. Ah, you know, okay. Yeah. You're never going to make as If money. you knock it out of the park, we'll give you a raise. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so yeah, I was looking at, Three seasons, typically, to finally make any money. And I was making good money doing a one-hour-a-week talk show. Yeah. So. 
yeah, that makes sense. You gotta you gotta weigh the odds and like what's gonna require more time, right? Yeah. And and also I think a little bit uh, of what you want to do. Uh, like yeah, it's cool to do a Netflix show, but like sometimes it's just like the inconvenience of doing that isn't worth it. I I don't know if I would ever think like that, but like you gotta think about your life and everybody takes personal things into matter matters like that. Yeah, and 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 I looked at Anthony. And I looked at kind of his journey too, and just some of my other friends. So, uh, I know Tom Felicia from Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. I know, um, Bobby Burke, who's on Queer Eye now on Netflix. The journey is not what you think. It, it seems really cool, and it can be cool. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of friends that are, you know, 90s actors, models, types of stuff. And you'd be surprised at what their day-to-day life is like. It's not what you think it is. That's uh, that's eye-opening right there because I think I think you're right. You know, at the end of the day, you can anticipate what other people are doing and how happy they are, but like the grass isn't always greener. Right? That's what you hear all the time, and it's like just focus on making your life a little happier. Well, um, it's like sport or athletes. So you know, uh, while you're watching Herschel Walker or different, you know, people play football or sports. You know, most of them end up in car sales afterwards. I've seen that. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. they just use their name. Kind they of got that nothing point. else. Yeah. Beyond what they were able to do, they got nothing. Yeah. So it's it's um the smart people take that stardom and they leverage it towards something else. Agree, one hundred percent. That's you, you got to build a brand, right? Build a brand from your whatever brand is, right? You're a football player. Okay, well, can you be? Personable enough so that you can get a call from ESPN and go do Sports Center, or can you make some investments and, and go do uh, endorsements for like Kia or I don't even know, like Allstate, something like that. Like what uh, is it, Mahomes that does Allstate now? Or? And there comes a time where your name doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, James Worthy, uh, I don't even know if you remember. I don't know who James Worthy oh, is. Oh man, but he was like <laughs> he was like Magic Johnson's right hand guy on okay. the Lakers. Okay, back in his time. The guy now is in financial services. You know, so, so what was like, man, James Worthy. Was, but you gotta think that being able to drop, like, yeah, I played with Magic Johnson, those stories help you do well in that industry. It's probably not football money, it's not FU money, but like, it's what he's doing, he's gonna be successful at because of his name. I mean, uh, yeah, no, right? They've gotta, they've, it, it, at some point, leveraging that name doesn't matter, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and so they've got to go figure out something else to do. That's so the, if you're on Netflix, if you ever get a get that opportunity, know that what you're doing is you're building up your brand. Yep. And then go leverage the hell out of it. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. Look at Chip and Joanna Gaines. Uh, they hit some stardom, and now they have all kinds of businesses that they're running. Yeah. They don't need to be on TV other than to keep their name relevant. And like you said there, uh, they maybe don't want to be in front of the camera their whole life. At no. some point, they want to go to Hawaii or they want to go to Europe, Greece, sale, whatever they want to do, and just kind of be together and enjoy the money passively rolling in. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there's something to be said for not using or not having to leverage your hours, your time, to make money, yeah. make your money, make money, or make your branding make money. Yeah, and I, I go always back to my biggest lesson in this was it's all about a business model. Yeah. There are existing models out there. You're not going to create a new one. They're, they're, they're out there. Go be a student of business models and then monetize. Monetize now. Don't wait for later. Monetize that. now. Um, and then off air, you and I were talking a little bit about that. When you realize that what this is, is a business model. Yeah. And revenue. Yeah. Then you can execute on an idea today. Yeah. You don't need to sit and dilly dally on a concept, uh, run it by a bunch of shit. And if you understand business out. models, then it's get the concept, form a team, validate the idea. Uh, form, uh, formulate how you're going to charge people and get to work, yeah. get to work today. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Joseph, how would someone go about 
getting those first couple steps of work done. Like, uh, you know, we go out to a networking event tonight, hear a couple business ideas. The next day I call up the guy from the networking event and I say, let's go to work. What are like the first, maybe like two to five steps that you would, you would think right now in 2021 could be crucial to getting a business started? Um, so first that, that initial spark, you need that one, right? So what's the business concept? Yeah. Um, if you don't know business models, go study business models. Okay. Um, at this point, I, I whittle everything down to a business model. So I immediately go, hmm, that's going to be this business model. Okay. From there, I go register the website, find out is it available. Yeah. Um, now I am not a big fan of spending a lot of money on development. I love the platform Wix. I know that there's WordPress and other stuff. Yeah, there's whatever, a lot of options out there for websites. Whatever these days. you're good at. Okay. Um, but I'll tell you what, when at the very early stages when you're validating an idea, do it fast. Uh, I know that people think that they're smarter because they're using WordPress and, and you're doing some coding, whatever. I love Wix. If you can, if you can do a PowerPoint, you can build an entire website on Wix. I love so, that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't used Wix before, but I know there's Spotify or sorry, uh, Spotify, yikes, uh, Shopify, WordPress, Wix. There is a lot of options, uh, but it sounds like Wix is really user friendly. And I think that's, stupid. that's what I do with Audacity, right? And, and, and an anchor on my podcast. It's like whatever I can do to kind of figure it out and get it moving as quick as possible. Yeah. Uh, yesterday I had a conversation with a friend and by the end of the day, we had domains, we had a business model, we had a business plan, uh, and we have an execution strategy. I do not need to wait months and months and months. I validate immediately. And if that idea flops, I learn and I move on. Right. So if, so my, my advice to people is don't wait. Yeah. Be a student of business models. Yep. Um, I raise my kids saying, that uh, uh, life is about as much about who you know as what you know. Go network, go get connections. Um, if you have an idea, execute it on execute on it today. Um, secure that business model and know that your path to revenue. Yeah. Okay. I love that. So business model, website, validate, get to work. Be willing to walk away. Be willing to walk away. What would you say? Kind of. I know it's going to change depending on the business model, but how patient should someone be? You said be, be willing to walk away, but also validate quickly. But, you know, is someone going to walk away from this business in a week or in a year? Um, you know, what does that look like in terms of knowing or getting that gut feeling that, like, no one's going to spend money on this? Um, so nobody knows but you. Yeah, okay. Right. Um, so I hosted a show. I produced a series called The Three Foot Project. I interviewed David Meltzer, the inspiration for the movie Jerry Maguire. Okay. I interviewed Kathy Ireland. Um, and the, the question, the premise for the show was, um, a three foot project was three feet from gold. So there's a story of a miner who, um, sells his mine. The next guy comes along, digs three feet further and hits the largest vein of gold in California history. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I think that's the nightmare. When do you know when to quit, right? Um, now, on my end, um, if it, if you can't pivot, if if the if you tried something mm-hmm. and and it's not working and you don't know how to pivot quick, then walk away. Uh, okay, it's not going to hurt. Um, I constantly launch businesses. For like 150 bucks, the domain, the website, validate it. See if yeah. people are interested in it. If people are willing to pay you, you might have an idea. Right. Uh, if people aren't willing to pay you, try a different, pri- a few different price points, monkey with it a little bit, and then be willing to walk away. I've got, uh, I've registered 14 C corp, S corps, LLCs in my lifetime. Wow. Okay. I've thrown away probably several dozen okay. companies that tried it, didn't yeah. work, moved on. I love that. Don't be afraid to fail people. Um, I don't think we've had a lot of stories like that so far on this podcast where it's like, tried this, failed, tried this, failed, tried this, it worked. And that is the real, the realistic life of if, entrepreneurship. If people haven't told you that into this microphone, they lied to you. I, I agree. They 
failed multiple times I agree before 100%. they ever hit success. Not everybody wants to talk about that. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think there's a big, there's something to be said and a, a big value to failing or hearing others fail because that story le- left a lesson and that lesson can be shared right there. Um, awesome. Well, Joseph, I appreciate you coming on here, uh, talking about your businesses, the ones that are successful, the ones that are not. How can people reach you? So, um, first, I'm all over social media. Uh, so if you just Google Joseph Hacker, I'm going to come up. You'll see all the pictures with all the different wonky shit I've done. Um, and join InCry. Uh, I invite everybody to create a free digital card. Uh, it's, free, it's free, people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, and that's, um, that's joinincrowd.com. It's joinincrowd on all social media platforms. I love that. Joseph, thanks so much for coming on and look forward to talking more. Take care.